So everyone, some of you who come from a more um, high church background know that today is a particular Sunday. It's Epiphany, you know. So Epiphany is not actually just one day. It reflects the season in a church's life. Uh, some of you, if you think of Epiphany, you might think of the image of like, oh, it's it's the Magi coming to worship Jesus, which is, which is true. The interesting thing about Epiphany is that it is a season of time that celebrates not just those wise men coming to worship Jesus, but it celebrates the revelation of God to the world. That's what the word Epiphany actually means. It comes from the Greek word Epiphania, which means revelation. So this season, which is marked by the beginning of God's revelation to the world through Jesus, uh, this season of Epiphany is celebrated way up until Lent. And the cool thing, the reason why we look at the Magi as being a great example of Epiphany, is because no one expected these astronomers, astrologers, these potentially Zoroastrians from Persia, no one expected those people to be drawn to Christ. There's an unexpectedness to Epiphany, this idea, and there's also a, an inclusion of Epiphany. I've just remembered I'm supposed to be recording this, Amanda. You were probably trying to get my attention. You've got it. See, she's already doing her job, guys, right now. An exact example of why we need Amanda. Way to go, Amanda. Good job. You can delete this part later. So, what was I saying? Um, there's an unexpectedness to the invitation to these people who came from halfway across the Middle East to worship Jesus. So we are all included in that epiphany. We are all here today. Most of us, I think, maybe some of us are here because someone invited us. Maybe our parents dragged us. But many of us are here because of some epiphany, right? Hopefully several epiphanies, several unexpected invitations, revelations from God that have brought us to this time. So we thought, oh, we're going to take a cue from this season of the church year that we're at, and we're going to do a little series called Epiphanies. An epiphany is a, a realization, an aha moment, a, a transcendent moment where you realize something new, a moment of clarity. Maybe you have an epiphany because you've been wrestling with something and you're searching after an answer or you're searching after God and aha, something comes to you. Or maybe you're not searching after something. Maybe you're just kind of going about your business and then spontaneously somehow God, something about God is revealed to you. So it could be either one. Both are epiphanies. Epiphanies can be big. Epiphanies can be small. And we're going to be sharing different stories of Epiphany through this series. Stories that come from Scripture and stories also that come from within our community. When you hear about these Epiphanies, it is not meant as a discouragement to you. It is not meant for you to hear someone's amazing transcendent experience and for you to go, oh, I've never had that. That would be me, by the way, so I'm not casting shade on you if that would be your immediate reaction, because that would be mine too, sometimes. 
But I think this series is meant to encourage you to be present to God because God is always wanting to reveal something of God's self to us. So hopefully this series will encourage you to be more present to God in the everyday. Hopefully will also help you to feel encouraged that God is living and active in the world and living and active in the work of, of the Spirit in our community. And also you'll appreciate the individuals that our community is comprised of and the uniqueness and the diversity of all our experiences of God. So what I want to do today is actually share with you briefly a story that comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, and then we'll get to hear the story of someone in our community. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have this great big showdown between different gods and the one true God, Yahweh. The person who's in control of this showdown, on earth anyways, is Elijah. And some of you might know the story. It's a story that I used to love in my children's Bible. To be honest, I like it less now because there's a lot of violence in the story. Um, the preamble to what we're talking about today is that Elijah gathers the prophets of Baal, this, this other god, and he says, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna see whose god is better, my god or your god. So you set up an altar here, you, sac you put some like dead animal parts down here, and I'm gonna do the same over here, and we're gonna call down fire on these sacrifices, and whichever god calls down fire is the one true god. So the prophets of Baal try their best, no fire comes. Elijah actually ups the ante a little bit and pours water on this, this offering, calls down fire, and fire consumes this sacrifice. And then lots of slaughtering happens. Lots of prophets of Baal get slaughtered. And then people get really mad at Elijah. Surprise, surprise. So he has to run for his life, and he flees to the mountain of God, Horeb. There's the backstory. And let me just say, there's a lot about that story that I don't understand. And there's a lot of that story that is distanced from me in time, thousands of years, and culture. And so I'm just going to leave that part of the story because it's not the focus of today. But I needed to let you know that that precedes this event that happens in 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, Elijah is feeling discouraged. And God, the voice of God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah basically whines to God a little bit, which makes me like Elijah that much more. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, and I'm the only prophet left. And now they're trying to kill me. Elijah is discouraged and frustrated. And he's kind of blaming God a little bit. And God tells him, okay, so go out and stand outside this cave, because Elijah was hiding in a cave. So Elijah goes out and stands outside the cave. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9 and following, it says, a great and powerful wind, like a storm, passed through, passed right in front of the cave where Elijah was standing. But God was not in that storm or great and powerful wind. Next comes an earthquake. 
but God was not in the earthquake. And then fire, the fire, you know, fire like maybe the fire that God used to consume that offering just a few chapters ago. But God was not in the fire. And then a gentle breeze or a, a whisper, depends how you translate that word. It's a breeze or a whisper or a breath passes by the cave. And that's where God is found. Now, I don't exactly know how Elijah knew that God was not present in the storm or the earthquake or the fire. I don't know how it is that Elijah recognizes the Spirit of God in that whisper, but he does. And in that story that's distant from us in, in, for thousands, in thousands of years, there's a distance that stands between us and that story. There's a lot of things that we don't understand. There's a lot of things that I don't recognize about the way that God works. But there is something I do recognize. I recognize the discouragement and the fatigue that Elijah seems to exhibit after you do the right thing. After you do the thing that maybe even you thought God wanted you to do. But it doesn't go quite the way that you planned. In fact, it goes worse than if you hadn't done anything at all. I recognize that feeling, that emptiness, that disappointment. Kind of the way I felt after we had to cancel the Christmas Eve service, now that I think of it, actually. Just that, oh. And what's remarkable about this story, as I recognize myself in Elijah, I, I hear Elijah speak about his feelings to God. And I hear the voice of God communing with Elijah. The presence of God communing with Elijah. God does not do a repeat performance of this epic manifestation of who he is through a storm or a fire or an earthquake. No, it's, it's in that, that whisper, that still small voice where Elijah and God came. In that gentle wind, Elijah felt seen and known by God. Elijah didn't even get a, a, a clear answer, per se. He got some instructions maybe for the next step, but I think for Elijah that epiphany came when he realized that God whispers. Sometimes God shouts, sometimes God sends down fire, and sometimes God whispers. Now there's no devotional practice recommended here. This isn't like an encouragement for you to have your quiet time. But if I was to offer one takeaway, one thing maybe to practice, maybe, it's to find a way to express to God what's really going on in your life, what you're really feeling on occasion, maybe regularly. And then after you tell God how it really feels to be you in that moment, wait, seek to be present to God and see what happens in that moment. God is still seeking to be present to us. God still wants to come alongside us in our victories and in our discouragements. And maybe there will be a little bit of a mini, mini epiphany as you encounter God in those places where you wait, where you're present, where you express to God what's going on, and maybe God will show God's self to you. So, that's my little story of epiphany from scripture today. 
But now you are very lucky that you get to hear a personal epiphany story by the one and only Archie Robertson. God um, revealed God's self to Archie in a very particular way, and he's going to tell the story about a revelation of a God who appreciates our worship. And as you listen to Archie's story, I invite you to listen as we do sometimes when you listen to someone's story. Listen for a point of resonance. Listen for something that resonates with you or that, that reminds you of an experience of your own life. And once we've heard Archie's story, uh, I'm going to be inviting you to share in one or two words a point of resonance. So come, please, Archie, and share your story of a revelation of the God who appreciates our worship. Are you going to want this stand? <laughs> I understand. Good, good morning, Cap Church. And, and Happy New Year. Um, it was about 10 years ago that our home group, our Cap Church home group, was working through a book that equipped each of us in the group to both write and then tell our own spiritual autobiography about the footprints of God in our lives. And I entitled one of the chapters in my story, A Mountaintop Encounter. And Kim, there you are. Um, she, she was in our home group at the time. And she evidently has a fairly good memory because she just asked me recently if I would share that story with you. And I'm thinking about doing that this morning, but uh, wondering if you want to hear it. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope it's an encouragement to you. It certainly was an encouragement to me. First, five quick points of backstory that might be helpful. Jen and I were at a church called Dayspring Fellowship before, about 30 years ago, before we moved to North Shore and made Cap Church our home. Dayspring was very similar to Cap in terms of its ethos and vibe and relational authenticity, and we still consider many Dayspringers close friends. Number two, since I was at Tyke, I've loved God, and I've known from Scripture that He put the sun and moon and stars in place. Number three, if the soundtrack of my life is ever compiled, and that's a really big if, it'll include a song that I've loved since I first heard it, which is Bruce Coburn's Lord of the Starfields. Ancient of days, universe maker, hear the song in your praise. It's beautiful. Number four, if I get a bit choked up like I'm already seeming to be telling you this story, don't worry for me. Uh, any tears or emotion are rooted in joy. And fifth point I'd say is that much of my life has lived out amid the ordinary stuff of life. My happy places are home, my workplace, Cap Church, Keats Island where we've got a family cabin near the camp, and the hockey rink, where I play a couple of games a week with good buddies. And I know God is present with me in all those places. But I am often less aware of his presence than I'd like to be. But there have been a few rare times in which God has shown himself to me in much more colorful and vibrant ways than normal. And I'd like to tell you about one of them. So I love being out in the mountains. 
So imagine joining me in this setting. This is a true story. You're high in the BC Chilcotin Alpine backcountry, about 100 clicks north of Whistler, with a group of eight friends from Dayspring. You're many hours away from the nearest road, and you're relaxing at base camp around an evening meal after a day spent in the sun, scrambling up and down scree slopes, appreciating the beauty of alpine meadow flowers, bagging a peek or two, and marveling at the fossilized shellfish evident in some of the rocky outcroppings. Our group has hiked for the day without seeing another soul. The plateau we're camped on falls away gently to a valley stream far below, and the surrounding peaks stand majestic against the cloudless sky. Darkness has settled in, and we each take a ground sheet and our sleeping bag, walk over to the near, nearby treeless meadow, lie on our backs, and tuck in against the night chill. I've brought along a few verses of scripture that talk about the stars being God's handiwork. And under a shaded light, I read from Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The Bible's full of uh, references to the moon and stars, and we all gaze upward as we listen to a few more passages and as our worshipful prayers are offered up. Another reading from Psalm 148. Alleluia, praise God from heaven. Praise him from the mountaintops. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you morning stars. Praise him, high heaven. Praise him, heavenly rain clouds. Praise, oh, let, let him praise the name of God. He spoke the word and there they were. He set them in place for all time to eternity. He gave his orders, and that's it. As we all join in looking skyward and singing how great thou art, as a conclusion, an absolutely amazing thing is happening. So as we sing, oh Lord my God, how when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars. The skies have come alive, dancing with color directly above us. Colored patterns interweave and merge, disappear and, and reappear, modified like multicolored flames across the sky. <laughs> the God of the universe, the Lord of the starfields, has taken delight in our worship. <laughs> and has decided to let us know by putting on a light show that we will remember for a lifetime. It's absolutely magnificent. We all watch Ozjuk as our creator, the inventor of the Aurora Borealis, turns it on at maximum amplitude. When we started, the night sky was black with countless stars. 
but now it is alive and dancing. We watch the show until it abates and wander back to our tents for a good sleep with hearts full and confident that God, our Father, is well pleased. Now the Aurora Borealis is an amazing phenomenon. I'm told that charged particles in the solar wind are directed by the Earth's magnetic field to the polar latitudes predominantly, where high-energy collisions with oxygen and nitrogen atoms high in the ionosphere create different colors of visible light, creating beautiful displays. God knows how it works far better than I do. I wonder this. If we were not on that mountaintop that night, praising God, would the aurora have been as brilliantly dancing as it was for us? I have no idea. But what I do know in faith is that God spoke clearly to us that night using his creation. I've never heard of another encounter like this. I've never experienced one before or since. It was a gift. It was a gift to us, and I've continued to treasure it in my heart. It's encouraged me in worship and praise, and I hope it encourages you as well. We worship a living God, both universe maker and Abba, Father, who deserves our worship, and who I now know with certainty appreciates our praise. And that was an mountaintop encounter. <laughs>